Welcome to The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. I am your host, Matt Philbrick. All right, everybody, welcome back to this episode of The Real Game. I have actually been off for a couple of weeks. It's been it's been a busy, really three weeks, I guess. It started with a trip to Maine to see some family that was in from out of town. And then we headed to South Carolina for a weekend to drop my daughter off at college. And then the weekend after that, we hosted a big uh, kickoff soccer and volleyball tournament here. So I honestly, as much as I enjoy this, just have not had the time to uh, to record any episodes, but I was talking to a coach friend of mine the other day about the topic we're actually going to be discussing today, and that's the topic of, of club sports. And I'm just going to clarify right now, when I use the term club sports, I'm basically referring to everything outside of school. Uh, so it could be AAU basketball, club volleyball, soccer, whatever, whatever kids are doing outside of their school. Um, so we kind of cast a big net over that. And when I say club sports, that's what I'm referring to. But I've kind of I've I've always been of the opinion a little bit, not not dogmatically, but I've kind of always had it in the back of my mind. You know, I've most of my coaching experience comes in the in a school, in a high school setting. I've call I've kind of always had it in the back of my mind that somehow club sports uh are are conflicting with school sports. Like you know, they can't really coexist in the same time together. And, and I haven't, I haven't given it a lot of thought, but um, I was talking to another friend of mine, a coach the other day, we were discussing, she has extensive experience coaching club volleyball. And um, there's a lot of benefits to club, to club sports. There really are. I did some reading over the weekend. Um, and actually one of the articles that uh, my friend here that I'm going to introduce here in just a second posted, I, I read that. There's a lot of good statistics out there about about the benefit of club sports, so I'm not discounting that at all. Um, but in order to give us better insight, I'm bringing back a friend of mine that's actually been on here with me one other time. That's Coach Josh Beers. Josh, it's great to have you back on the podcast today. I hope you guys are doing well. It's good to catch up with you for for a couple of minutes before we started recording. It's a busy season of life. Like even as we get older, we're discussing how our bodies are falling apart a little bit, but we still have a lot going on, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, it's great. Yeah. It's great to be here with you, Matt. And I relate to that body falling apart. That's how I feel almost every day. Um, but I really love that you're leaning in. I love what you're doing. I love, obviously, I love you as a person and have great respect for you. I love the work you're doing. And when you reached out about this topic, I just, I just commend you again for hitting topics that are very relevant to parents, coaches, players. I mean, you're you're hitting the full gamut of athletics when you say let's talk about the relationship between school and club AAU anything outside of school athletics. It's a hot topic right now that has a lot of opinions. So, I'm actually really looking forward to the conversation and continuing to grow in this. Yeah, and you've had you've had quite a bit of experience. You've coached at the school level, the high school level, but you've coached outside of school a lot also. Just give us in a nutshell you know, a little bit of your coaching experience outside of the school setting. So we're, we're I know I'm getting old when I say I have three decades of coaching now <laughs> that I've done. I don't talk in years, we talk in decades, but in those three decades, there's about uh, 
seven or eight years of college sports coaching. There's about seven, eight years of high school sports coaching and soccer and basketball. And there's about 14 to 15 years of club sports, probably a couple of years of that overlapped. So I've kind of gotten to see um, both dynamics from personal experience and then from interacting with those who are involved with it when I was on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And probably during that time, you uh, had the opportunity to coach your own kids, right? In that in club setting. And I just did a good episode with with Phil Hubbard. You you know Phil from oh, yeah, back in yeah. our school days. Yeah. And he talked a little bit about his experience coaching his own kids. Um, a huge blessing to be able to do that. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to your insight on this topic today. I just want to, you know, I sent you some questions ahead of time. We'll kind of use those as a guideline as we wade through this topic, but in your opinion, Josh, how do you see the landscape of high school sports and club sports evolving, say, even in the last 10 years? And and it's a good barometer to use, Matt, because when you looked at youth club sports 10 years ago, um, it was not nearly the big business to become. It's right. become a multi-billion with a B industry. It was one of the things that back in 2007, 8, 9, during whatever that recession was, so I'm a little past 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, was one of the few things that actually went up in spending. Parents gave up vacations, but they would not give up sports sure. um, outside of school sports, and which obviously has a lot of, for many, has a significant price tag. Mm-hmm. So this evolution of sports um, has become big business and people have capitalized on it. And we'll probably get into some of the dynamics of where that's healthy and where it's unhealthy. Um, I see, the, it, again, it's, it's how you utilize it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that evolution has fully taken place to where at times, instead of complementing one another, uh, they've now become in competition at times, and that can be very unhealthy. Uh, we'll sure. unpack that more. But without a doubt, the pressure of making youth sports organized and competitive younger and younger is one of the biggest evolutions of sports in America compared to countries in Europe where they don't even keep score till they're 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, you know, U4, U5, U6s who are hoisting trophies and (laughs) it's going to have a that has a ripple effect that we're seeing in our nation and our and um on parents and kids so Mm -hmm. huge evolution in the last decade um of growth of sports outside of the school setting yeah and you you made like four comments there that we're going to address as we you know as we dissect this a little bit more but what are just at, at a high level some some benefits that club sports bring to young athletes in terms of skill development and exposure Without a doubt, skill development should be near the top of the list. Kids can um, sometimes there's now I'll be careful how I say this. Sometimes paid coaches aren't that good, but there are sometimes coaches with additional expertise that can help the development of kids at a young age that gives them a technical advantage uh, in a particular sport. So Mm -hmm. skill development is there uh, taking on new challenges. There's different settings that kids go into that. There's there's a lot of positives and benefits to club sports when led well with the right purpose at the right age level. I, yeah. I, I think you, you 10 sports should look different than you 17 sports. And that's some of the dynamic. There's tremendous advantages when people understand the reason of the why for club sports at that mm-hmm. particular age, age demographic. Yeah. And you mentioned coaching as one of the important, you know, pieces of that. Have you ever, and this isn't, this is kind of off topic here, but have you ever seen any kids turned off to club sports because of, of a bad coaching experience? Man, I think it's, I will say to you, I've seen more of it 
at the club level than I have at the high school level because parents have a different expectation because club sports, it's one of my negatives. I'll say in a couple of minutes are, are preaching a false narrative of promises they can't keep. So parents are holding those clubs to that standard. And as a Mm -hmm. result, um, how it affects my child, not just how it affects the team becomes the primary narrative, which means more and more kids are, well, I think more kids quit sports because of their club experience than because of their school experience, even if the school experience isn't as strong. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. And you mentioned, you know, some of the other negative things and that's my, that's my next question on the flip side of some of the benefits. What are some of the potential drawbacks or challenges that arise from the growth of, of club sports? A couple that come really quick to, to mind to me is one specializing too young. And we'll talk about that more, I think, mm-hmm. in just a couple of minutes. So I won't get into that. I think it becomes all consuming, both in a, a child's life as well as in a family's life. And the world revolves around um, an 11 year old's calendar, athletic calendar and yeah. practices and games and travel and all those things. But I think the biggest one to me is the false narrative that many in the club world, AAU world, I've seen it there as well with a number of people I know of promises that are being made to kids at 10, 11, 12, 13, that this is going to lead to scholarships when the data says 7% of kids mm. that play high school sports go on and play in college and 2% play at the division one level. And yeah. out of those 2%, only most a handful of them are actually full ride scholarships. So the false narrative is the greatest negative I've seen. If we could readjust the narrative, I think we could actually strengthen what's happening in club sports. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny you brought up some of the, you know, that that kids are, I won't say they're being fed a line, but they're being told in order to be successful or to advance in athletics, maybe to get a scholarship at the division one level or whatever, you have to go through club sports. And I don't, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that that's untrue. Like I think there's statistics to back up that statement right so i went online and i i was able to find a couple articles um this one here gives some statistics about you know it breaks it down by sport all right athletes in several sports overwhelmingly reported that they played on both teams so here we go this is from the ncaa um 80 for soccer 88 percent of women and 77 percent of men competed on a club team in basketball, 92% of women and 91% of men competed on a club team. In women's volleyball, 91% of women uh, competed on a club team. And these are these are athletes that went on to play at the NCAA level. So, I mean, the statistics speak for themselves. Really, if, you're, if it is your desire to advance to the next level, if you will, it almost seems like if you're not in club sports, you're at a disadvantage. Yep. Which, which so, brings a question up even in some countries when you look at most of club sports as a pay-to-play model. Yeah. So now what have we done to the economic dynamic of that where kids can't kids that might be good enough to play at the college level aren't being given opportunities to play? Because there's no mistaking there's an advantage to that increased specialized coaching. Um, it's where we find the balance sure. of all of it. Yeah. And again, this is another rabbit trail. I think this whole conversation will be full of this because it's such a there's so much here to talk about, right? Why are why are club sports so expensive and how does that affect kids who maybe want to do it, but they just can't because they can't afford it? And in some cases, and you know this, in some cases, you're talking about thousands of dollars to participate for one year on a club team. Yep. 
And and full candor, if I hadn't been coaching my kids, my kids wouldn't have had the opportunity because it sure. wasn't going to be into our price a price bracket. Yeah. The dynamic of it is, Matt, adults have turned it into a business and seen money opportunities. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of clubs making a lot of money and then adding layer upon layer as if they're this professional whatever when mm-hmm. – Again, I, I believe in the localized club. I'm a raving fan of the localized club. Compete locally. You don't have to travel to California to find good volleyball or good soccer. And the best of the clubs should do that. But if there was somehow this tiered approach that would make it more affordable yep. at the baseline levels. Um, but it's just the reality is, is adults have realized that there's parents who are willing to pay multi multi thousand dollars a year starting at age five or six or seven. And do that for 12, 15 years and spend what would be equivalent of three or four years of college tuition yep, <laughs> to hope yep. that their kid gets a scholarship. Right, right. Yeah. No, and I think it's uh, it's just what parents prioritize. You know, they think their kid has a chance and they're willing to put maybe in some cases all their eggs in one basket to try to make that happen. So, yep. all right, uh, moving on. Uh, one concern is that club sports may lead to athlete specializa- specialization. And you touched on this earlier. Uh, at an early age, what are your thoughts on this trend and its impact on overall athletic development? And maybe just clarify what athlete specialization is also. Yep. So specialization is uh, a, a student athlete chooses to say, I love the game of soccer. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play. Maybe I play in the fall for my school team, but I'm not going to do any other sport in the winter other than indoor soccer. Or if I'm, if I'm going to area of the country where I can play outdoor, I play outdoor spring, I play outdoor soccer, yep. summer I play. And, and so I play 12 months of your soccer. There is no room to figure out if I like volleyball or baseball or basketball or uh, lacrosse or any other sport. And that specialization, I, I think what I need to say clearly to you, Matt, my perspective on this is I'm just not a fan of specializing at a young age. Yeah, I yeah. am a fan of specializing when, a, when a, a student's ready for it and I can – tell a couple stories uh, about what I've seen when parents have not specialized and seen kids as late as a girl who played on my club team last year. She's a, she's a junior, she's a senior this year, but she picked up the game of basketball in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Now she's not going to play college soccer and she's a low level division one or high division two basketball recruit. And she's, her game is just flourishing. She picked it up late, but she loves the game because she hasn't been burned out of it by specializing. And if she had specialized in soccer and we had not let her play basketball, she never would have found out that she really loved basketball more than she loved soccer. And so for me, it's that age of as long as kids want to play multiple sports, let them Mm -hmm. is my philosophy about it. So on my club team, I coached last year, my girls uh, U18 team who did very, very well. Um, but I have multiple, I have five girls that play multi-sport and I just lose them in the winter with some of our training that we do. And we just, just an adapt because we want them to, we're not, we're we're not trying to turn out professional athletes. We're trying to turn out great adults, Sure, trying to turn out great adults. Then we, then we realize we're not the only ones to help develop them towards being adults. Um, the other part that I think is important to note, and this is I'm dating myself here because I'm all the way back to Urban Meyer at uh, Ohio State. But one of the years he won a national championship, they said 68 of the whatever was on his roster, 68 of the players had play had participated in two high school sports their senior year. Okay. So wow. and Urban Meyer and a lot of division one 
actually a lot of coaches at every level I've met at the college level love non-specialized athletes mm-hmm. because if you've played basketball, there are principles that apply to soccer or lacrosse from that sport. Sure. Uh, now I imagine a lot of those football guys probably ran track, did track and field or whatever yep. else. The dynamic of it is sports at the highest level is a read and react, not a robotic training, whatever. So when, Many coaches at higher levels will say, give me a multi-sport athlete who hasn't won. They won't be burning out with me, which is massive burnout. We might touch that later because of specialization. Mm-hmm. And then two, um, I, they can they can adapt on the fly, which is the best athletes in the world do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I agree with you there. I think that um, and I think in my opinion, schools maybe have a little bit of an advantage there because they offer more opportunities for kids to try different things as they mature. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, so like, for instance, our school in a certain we're, we're not the exception. We just were a normal Christian school, but we offer intramurals and s- sports for kids starting in first grade, you know, and it gives them an opportunity to taste volleyball and soccer and baseball and some other things. And they might decide, like you said, at, at some point it's fine for them to decide Hey, I'm a I'm a freshman. I'm a junior in high school. I really want to zero in on basketball or soccer, but I now I have all this training that can help me in that sport. But I've I've had a chance to taste the waters along the way and decide, hey, this is what I love, right? Yep, absolutely. And I think the parents who take that track and the schools that take that approach are the ones who truly are demonstrating we're about the kids first and not about our particular level of success within a right. certain sphere. Right, right. How do you think the emphasis on year-round training in club sports specifically affects athletes' physical and mental well-being, especially when they also participate in school sports? And obviously mental health right now, we're, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis, right? So um, anyways, go ahead. Well, I need to say this to you. When you sent me the question in advance, I was I literally sent back to you, Matt, it doesn't matter if I have the right answers. Just keep asking these questions because people need to be talking about the questions you're asking. So it really doesn't matter if people agree as much as these conversations need to be happening across all kinds of levels. Mm -hmm. Physically, especially on the on the female side of sports, and I have three daughters. And so I have been a little bit closer to that the last couple of years. The Mm -hmm. amount of injuries taking place because of year round training, I think, is I think people are starting to make the connections. Yeah. keep working the same muscles and the same joints consistently for 12 months. Actually, when you play basketball, you actually work different muscles and different, there's so much different things happen. That's actually good for your body than just playing soccer year round, or if you're Mm -hmm. basketball, go play another sport. So I think that physical side is one thing. The second side is the unbelievable amounts of pressure that adults are placing on kids relentlessly um, and the effect that's having on mental health, the expectations yeah. you're you're always playing in front of people. We grew up playing a lot of pickup ball. That was probably every bit as competitive as some of the club sports <laughs> that's being played right now. In fact, some yeah. of, you know, call your own fouls was a was a good quality. And we learned life skills. But more than that, it was a place to it was safe. There was no. Mm-hmm. Nobody recording it, nobody posting it, nobody. We learned not only leadership skills, but we learned how to not have our lives 24-7 being evaluated and and parents screaming from the stands and all the different dynamics that sports should be an outlet 
Right. Like I'm so passionate. I told my girls a couple of years ago, we took away, we said no phones at practice. Mm-hmm. You would have thought at first really <laughs> bad. And then about, <laughs> about two weeks in, they said, coach, we just look forward to practice. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. Kind of made me feel good. I'm like, um, what, what do you enjoy so much? And they said that none of us have our phones. Yeah. We, we're just safe. It's yeah. free. We talk to each other and it's there. We've done this. We've done a great disservice in this whole area of um, athletics has become an added pressure instead of a pressure relief. It's actually been a pressure increaser. And I think it's only max magnifying the amount of people leaving sports. Um, you're seeing division one athletes who walk away mm-hmm. because of mental health, not because they got injured. Yeah. So your point, Matt, um, People smarter than me need to go deeper on this. Yeah, yeah. But you're, you're hitting it on the head. There's a physical um, detriment to year-round specialization, and there is also a mental health. Um, and we can point and find the exceptions where that's not the case. But I think for the most part, if we're lumping the majority in, wise leaders like yourself are asking these questions. And you alluded to, you know, back in, we'll call it the day, um, which guys like us, we talk about the day a lot, you know, <laughs> when we were able to get together and just compete and throw down without the pressures of anybody observing. Um, so there were, so what I'm getting at is there were no expectations, right? There were no expectations. And because of that, there was no setting up for failure. So sometimes when there's expectations in an athlete's mind, they think I'm not meeting up to that expectation. So because of that, I'm failing, um, and now with everybody watching, with everybody recording, with everybody posting, like you said, since since the social media explosion of 2010, we're seeing a lot more uh, mental, the mental health crisis has exploded because everything is compared to whatever kids are doing on the Internet. You know, if they're doing it on TikTok, they're doing it on Instagram. I need to be I need to live up to that. And that's yep. just not realistic. Right on. Will you coach soccer? OK, is there a, a push in the club sports, this is kind of on the same question before we jump to the next one, to do that year round and to abandon school sports. Like, uh, you know, you know, other coaches, maybe not you yourself, but hey, um, it, it's going to affect them physically. It's going to affect them mentally, but we don't care. We want you to just stick with this. And and I want you to be my guy, so to speak, you know, leave that other stuff behind. Yep. Well, it was fully out here in uh, where I'm at in Lancaster County. There was a couple of club teams that uh, if you played on the highest level of soccer, you were not allowed to play high school sports. And we used to smile because some of the best players weren't playing. So they'd play like their freshman year and they'd, and then all of a sudden be like, why aren't they on the team this year? Oh, they're playing for the Academy team. And some of them would come back. And so I I made the choice when my guys, I was coaching a group and they were about, I think it was about eighth grade. I said, I'm going to do it different. I went to our club and said, I'm shutting down our season when they hit school ball. We'll pick it back up in late October, early November. And I took a little criticism and then we did it. And full candor now out here, there's been at least three other teams that have started that have said, we actually they call it a academy. They basically call it a mix. And they've said, we're going to let kids play with their friends for that two months. Okay. Again, it's easier with soccer because it's late August until um, – you know, the end of October, even if they advance into the playoffs, but we made that choice and it's, it's found stride. It's increased the level of high school sports at, at the highest level Mm -hmm. of the public school system where my kid, where my, where my son was playing. But the reality was it didn't hurt the club experience and kids made lifetime memories. And if it was really about as much as club sports is great, we play in front of a max of 
30, 40 people. Yeah. Um, we, we played in a school league final in front of 700. Yeah. And I'm so glad I didn't steal that experience from my son because somehow Academy soccer was going to, we just need to focus on his development. Sure. He yeah. has lifetime memories. Yeah. And so I yeah. think, I think finding a way for clubs and schools to talk to each other and say, how do we make this work for the good of the student athlete can enhance both. Yep. And you, you kind of, it's a perfect segue to my next question, Josh, are there strategies that high school coaches can employ to collaborate with youth coaches in order to provide a balanced keyword there and beneficial experience for student athletes? There sure is. And it takes, it takes adults from both settings saying, how do we collectively create the best experience for those student athletes? And so for me, it was talking to the coach and saying, I'm just going to be a dad and I'm going to be a fan from, I'm not going to try and coach him from the other sidelines. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I'm going to enjoy the game. And then when we get into the, uh, when we get into the postseason, probably I'm going to be able to develop them quite, they're going to come to you much stronger next August for next year's soccer season because of the training we're going to give them. Yeah. That's the dynamic, but it takes conversation. So during the season, the only thing the coach would ever hear from me is things like, hey, rooting for you, coach. Usually after a loss, I'd, I'd write him and say, hey, keep your head up, you know, encourage them. And usually about February, I would say, hey, coach, let's get together. You start to think about next season. Um, I'm hitting my spring season. Is there anything you're thinking with the team um, that might be different than the way I coach them that I might be able to integrate into what I do because mm -hmm. the kids love the school season? And so – it's two people talking together and saying what's best for the kids. So same thing. There was a, one of the, one of the teams I had that I tried to work with the coach. He's like, yeah, they're yours after the season. But then he started implementing all these required workouts required this. And they said, we're going to burn out our kids yeah. or these club players are going to look like they're not committed because they're not showing up to your year round workouts now. Right. right. So I think coaches need to coaches from the club need to talk to coaches from the school and that can be AAU, that can be any any aspect of it. That can be baseball, whatever it is. They're throwing kids' arms out as pitchers mm -hmm. and things like that. That I just think if we were talking together and saying, do we all care about this young man or this young lady? If we do, what's the best experience for them? Let's figure out a way to get there. And I can speak from out here, as those conversations have taken place, the experience for the kids have gotten better. The, the level of play in our conference has gone way up in sure. the men's boys and girls side because more and more kids are playing. And what clubs have started to realize kids were leaving the Academy club, coming over to these other clubs who are saying, go ahead and play school. Kids want to play with their friends. Yeah. Yeah. And 93% of them aren't going to play in college. Why would we deprive those 93% of their final best experience? Sure. And in the end, we want happier athletes, right? Yep, I mean, that's, that's exactly that's, right. That's what it's all about. Happier athletes are going to perform better. Uh, they're going to they're going to advance more. They're going to they're going to they're going to do well um, as opposed to athletes that are just maybe overwhelmed or they don't they just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You got it. And that's a great point that you make about the pressure that have been put on athletes, athletes who are happy and enjoying the sport play at the highest level. So coaches that are listening, if you want your kids to play better then actually your belief in them and instilling a confidence and supporting them helps them to play freer and looser and better. Um, and we can't forget about that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, those kids are going to be their own, They're going to be parenting their own kids. Yeah. And they're going to think, what was my last experience like? I'm very tuned into that as a coach of, 
U18 kids right now. Just I completed with my guys at U19, and they're all juniors in college now. They're five, 10 years away from their kids sure. or 15 years from their kids playing. And they're going to say, what was it like for me? Mm-hmm. And so if we want to continue to grow this love for the game and the joy of it and the positives that you and I both know are there from sports, we've got to be intentional as leaders to cultivate the settings that kids want to keep coming back. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's a great point. Um, I think that uh, getting, getting them keeping in mind as coaches that these athletes are going to go on and have families of their own and kids of their own. What the, the experience they're going to come back to for their own kids is the experience they had right when they did it themselves. So we provide a positive experience for them. It could be a positive experience for their kids too. So, so that's an excellent point. I think I would be, I would be mistaken to not give you an opportunity, Josh. And I didn't, again, I didn't send you this question, but I would be mistaken to not give you an opportunity to tell us, the opportunities you've had to share the gospel with kids and families outside of a school setting in, in maybe a club setting that God has put on your plate or right in front of you and said, Josh, you're, you're, you're a light in a lost world here. Here you go. Man, I appreciate that because it's been one of the joys for me um, because I can get into that Christian bubble, so to speak. I work in a faith-based environment for my job. And so club sports has had me rub shoulders with so many people who have not come from the same uh, Christian background that I have. And what really has happened is you just love their kids. And as we've loved their kids Mm -hmm. and walked alongside them in the inevitable things that come up in life, we had a situation come up um, where a student at the public school where most of the players that I had came from took his life. Mm. So those kids come, the parents are all calling me and saying, Josh, you need to have practice night. I'm like, we don't practice night. They're like, no, you need to practice night. You need to talk to the kids. (laughs) And this is with a team that has only two or three people who profess to be Christian. So I said, okay, if that's it. So I started just sharing freely with these kids. I prayed with them. I counseled with them. And um, and just told them, hey, listen, this is walking alongside them to love them and to point um, to the hope of the gospel, to show them that um, that my faith is real. I'm not forcing it on any of them, but I want them to know that what keeps me anchored in my life is the fact that God's love for me is unconditional through his son, Jesus Christ. And to be able to walk that path with parents and to care and love for their kids has been um It's been so many times, Matt, over and over again, and even parents who come up who have said, Josh, that's not really for us, but thank you. (laughs) You're just like, okay, fantastic. We're just going to – I don't change anyone's life. I get to plant and water and share Mm -hmm. and live in a way that's winsome so that when the time is right – um, that the seed of the gospel's planted um, to hopefully make an impact in their life. So that's been been a joy and a highlight – um, to be able to, and it's probably one of the things that's frustrating me at times because sometimes I want to be able to share more freely. You know, when I'm coaching a Christian school, hey guys, bring it in, let's pray and let's go play. Yep, I can't yep. do that. Right. And so making those adjustments um, has but, been rewarding and challenging. But it's good. It's good that people can see that your walk with Christ is what defines you as a person, not how successful you might be in your coaching, how successful True. you might be in terms of wins and losses. In the end, there's much more that defines you as a person than, than that stuff, you know, and that's your relationship with Christ. Yep. And Matt, that's the piece though, that, that I hope is the crux of all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel you and I, and those who have a relationship with Christ have an advantage because we know the why behind it. But if we as adults 
can say, hey, we're not there just for the one scoreboard. We're there for that second scoreboard of where these kids are going to be in life five, 10 years from now. We can do that. All of a sudden, we we have a platform of influence that is contagious and it also brings out the best in the players because players start to realize he genuinely believes in me. Mm-hmm. Co- Coach Philbrick really cares about me as a person. You and I have had some conversations in your basketball season, like how do I get this guy to play better? Mm-hmm. And almost every conversation didn't go back to Matt. Here's a here's a new drill to do. It came back to here's have you had this conversation and yep. you believe in that player and you show him you love him and then he takes his game to another level. Sure. Yep. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point and very, very applicable with us for sure. So we've got, man, we've got through a lot of stuff here today. And honestly, we've covered almost everything. We've got about two and a half minutes left in the end, um, looking ahead and you've, you've already made some excellent points. Are there any other changes or improvements that could be made to ensure that both high school sports and club sports continue to thrive without undermining each other? I, I, I love that concluding question because it summarizes it. If adults will put the kids first, and the only way we can put the kids first is if we put ourselves second. Mm-hmm. So if the school and the club both say what's best for the kids, we'll start talking to each other. So if a co- high school coach isn't talking to the club coaches or the players that play club sports, I think we're failing. Sure. And if the club coach isn't reaching out to the high school coach saying, hey, I want to make sure we align our expectations together, we're failing. So I believe the conversations and then the commitments to the best interest of the kids will have disagreements, yep. but we can find a lot of traction if we decide we're going to work together rather than work against. Absolutely. Absolutely. Josh, it's been a pleasure as always. I appreciate your friendship, number one, and I appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work uh, out there and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon, maybe about a different topic. Who knows what will come up? Matt, thanks for you. And thanks for what you're doing. You're doing great work. All right. We'll be with you. Have a good one, Josh. Thanks. You too. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode of The Real Game. I'd like to leave you today with a quote by legendary basketball coach John Wooden. And the quote is this. A coach is someone who can give correction without resentment. So good luck, coaches, and coach on. Coach on.